It was the lure of being able to travel in time as well as across the seas that first carried me to the islands. It was 1987, and I was in my early thirties, and I must admit that daydreams of Polish anthropologist Bronislaw Malinowski's fabled islands of love were part of the attraction. Malinowski had lived on Kirowina Island in the Trobians group during the 1920s, and, in The Sexual Life of Savages, he'd reported in lively terms on the seemingly promiscuous young people he'd found there. At the time, I was in charge of the mammal department at the Australian Museum in Sydney, and while girls in grass skirts are, technically speaking, mammals, they most emphatically did not fall within my research remit. Instead, it was the distributions of possums, bats, and rats that would need to set the agenda. I'd been employed as a research officer. In pay and status, it was the bottom of the scientific totem pole, but I couldn't have cared less. What mattered was that I was expected to carry on the great tradition of the curators who'd preceded me and conduct research on the mammals of New Guinea and the southwest Pacific Islands. The museum had a proud history in the Pacific, and I soon learned that its collections held many important specimens, some acquired during the age of sail. As I pored over the mammal collections, the rudiments of a geography of the distribution of Pacific Island mammals began to take shape in my mind. But even when combined with what I learned from published sources, the picture was woefully incomplete, like a jigsaw with nine out of every ten pieces missing. A new book on the mammals of Australia had just been published, and it occurred to me that there should be a similar book for the Southwest Pacific. But with so many ghastly blanks in our knowledge, an immense amount of field work would be required before I could put pen to paper. While full of goodwill for my aspirations, the museum could provide no financial support for my plans beyond my modest wage. So it was clear that I'd need to find a source of funding, and this, in the case of the Islands of Love, as they became known, was provided by TAMS, the Australian Museum Society. Headed by the wonderful and ever-gracious Susan Bridie, the society consisted of several hundred mostly well-heeled supporters of the museum, some of whom were keen to participate in scientific research. And so it was that, on a bright, breezy August day in 1987, I found myself standing on a wharf in far north Queensland alongside a group of people I hardly knew. It was the season of the southwest trade winds. The sea was covered in white caps, and the wind was relentless and salty. A mountainous pile of scientific equipment, from traps and nets to supplies, along with great silver vacuum flasks of liquid nitrogen, so that we could store samples of DNA that might reveal how the creatures we hoped to encounter had reached their island homes, lay on the dock beside an aluminum catamaran with the name Sunbird on her bows. She'd been purchased for the Australian Museum by Suntory, the Japanese whiskey producer, though just why alcoholic beneficence had smiled upon the museum in this particular guise, I never discovered. Perhaps some past director was a great supporter of their product, I mused as we heaved the gear aboard. The whole business of the expedition seems ridiculously romantic from this distance in time. Tams had seen fit to organize and fund the work, the quid pro quo being that five of its members would participate in this voyage of biological discovery. Our objective was to survey one of the most inaccessible large islands in Melanesia, Woodlark and the Trobriands group. Woodlark attracted me because of its size, its small human population, and the abundance of undisturbed habitats. Furthermore, it was home to an unusual couscous, a cat-sized marsupial, and I felt that other biological novelties might lie hidden there. But it lacked an air service, hence the need for the sunbird. 
Woodlark had been visited by scientists interested in mammals only twice prior to our expedition. In 1894, Albert Meek, one of Lord Walter Rothschild's most adventurous biological collectors, had tried to reach the island on a seven-meter whaleboat. He wrote later of his foolhardy attempt that, I had no knowledge at all of navigation, and had not even a compass aboard. I was to learn in the school of experience that navigation was not a matter that could be taken in the casual way. Day after day, the understating Meek found himself driven back by the same trade winds that we experienced on the dock in Cairn, until he was finally blown far out to sea where he had to proceed by the light of the moon towards an unknown shore. Without matches, food, or shelter, Meek was forced to abandon his first attempt to reach the island.